either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You're sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Have we rested up and recovered from the marathon movie week last week? No. Holy moly. I'm still sleepy. <laughs> Welcome, this is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. 16 movies last week. We ran through them. Honestly, we ran through them probably quicker than I would have liked. Right. But we just had too many. Yeah, we and did. And we were going to have an hour and a half podcast, and I uh, don't really like that. So, But we've got a much more manageable number to talk about this week. Glad you're here, and we'll start with a new one on Netflix. When a pill that gives its users unpredictable superpowers for five minutes... Hits the streets of New Orleans, a teenage dealer and a local cop must team with an ex-soldier to take down the group responsible for its creation. It's called Project Power. Welcome to Project Power. Our goal is simple. The next evolution of the human species. Here, take one of those before. They can make you strong. Make you invisible. You never know what your power is until you try it. You push that power, don't you? Yeah. On the streets, they're talking about superpowers, but they're not talking about how one hit could kill you. What's the plan now? Took something from me. I gotta get it back. Something? Or someone? Right off the bat, it, strangely enough, I really like the idea of pairing Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think that they have very, very different energies, but they can be great in movies, and I was excited to see what they would do together. Yeah, and what's interesting is they really don't come together for at least half the movie, mm -hmm. because their characters approach this problem with two different agendas and from two different sides, really. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's a pill, and you never know quite what's going to happen when you take it. Actually, it reminded me of Hellraiser. And yeah. The, <laughs> the box That's right. could give you pleasure, but probably not. No, it's gonna don't give you open pain. that box. Right. So here, when you take the pill, it changes for every person. You could just explode, and that does happen. <laughs> uh, or you could get a random superpower. You could get super strong. You could turn into a, like a Hulk kind of thing. You could be bulletproof. You could be a human torch, whatever. But it's like if you eat those Harry Potter candies, mm -hmm. and it might be butterscotch, or it might be right. pea. You don't know. Exactly. It, well, it's, yeah, it's kind of like that. I don't know how they taste. But anyway, <laughs> when you get your superpower, if you live through it and get a superpower, the power only lasts for five minutes. So you got to choose wisely and, and make the most of your time. So this drug starts sweeping New Orleans, and that's where this movie takes place. And uh, Jamie Foxx is an ex-soldier who wants to get to the bottom of it because it has harmed his family. Mm -hmm. And, and he's, he's got an agenda there. And then... The uh, cop, the local cop, played by George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, obviously, he's coming at it from a law enforcement angle. And they get help from a teenage, well, she's a, she's a wannabe rapper, but she's actually been dealing some of this power. That's what the drug is called, power. And uh, she's played by Dominique Fishback. And so slowly they, they get closer to each other, all coming together and working together as they try to figure out the deal here. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun little movie. It takes... A lot of qualities, a lot of things that will be recognizable to you from other movies, even other superhero movies. Mm -hmm. And then it adds in this nice little, this nice little twist to the premise. Uh, about Which is that you're only a superhero for five minutes. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's, you got to move, you got to groove, you got to do your thing. <laughs> but it's a co-directed by Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman. 
And they've been involved in Catfish, the documentary, mm-hmm. back in the day. A couple they, of uh, paranormal activities. Yeah. And they did Nerve, yeah. which we thought was all right. Emma Roberts and... Yeah, um, Dave Franco mm-hmm. from a few years ago. So this one, you know what, for the, for the budget that I believe it has, because it's, let's face it, for superhero movies, this is not getting a Marvel budget. They do a lot with it. It looks pretty good. The action is staged well. Some of the effects that, that show off the uh, superhero abilities... Right especially the bulletproofness, mm. look pretty cool. I, I'll, I'll give that to them. And they do look pretty cool. There is, There are a few times when, yeah, you got to turn your brain off a little bit. <laughs> uh, logic takes a little bit of a leap. Um, but I thought it was, it was another one of those that was fun. It could have, like so many movies, it could have lost 15 minutes. Sure, yeah. it could have. But if you have Netflix and you want to get into something good, it is R-rated. It's violent. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong there. It's violent. And it's probably not going to surprise you much as far as how the thing ends up. The leads are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl who had a supporting role in The Hate You Give, uh, she's good too. The blocking and the staging of the action is pretty impressive. So I think all in all, it's a, it's a pretty decent winner here from Netflix called Project Power. And you need to say that title about three times over because you've been, you've been calling it everything but. I know, I know. Because it just sounds like a Cedar Point ride to me. And so I just, yeah, you're right though. I have called it every other possible title. Yeah, Break. Planet P Project, I wow. called it. Wow. Remember them? Wow. Look at me pulling out a classic rock nugget. That was that, just for you, baby. Wow, Planet P. I'll tell you. But uh, we're off the track here. But oh, overall, I thought, again, it's not, it's not great, but I thought it was fun and well-presented. And just, you know, just turn your brain off and enjoy. Hey, who's up for a creature feature? I know your hand is up. The lone <laughs> survivor of an enigmatic spaceship incident hasn't returned back home alone. Hiding inside his body is a dangerous creature. This is a Russian import called Sputnik. Now it's your turn to sing some Sig Sig Sputnik. <laughs> what was their stupid song? Love, <laughs> Love Missile F-111. <laughs> Nice. Man. Nice. This thing has. You are dusting off some brain cells today. This has totally gone off the rails (laughs) to a music trivia show. Shocker. (laughs) Yeah, Sputnik. And you've said many times, I don't want to steal your line, but if you're going to have a creature feature, you got to have a good creature. And this one delivers. It's a weird creature. Not only how it looks, but what it can do. Yeah, so uh, it starts off right where this psychologist or, or doctor of some sort in Russia, in Moscow, is being brought off-site, off-campus, to help the government contend with the cosmonaut who has returned not alone. And what they think is that he has a parasite, and what she discovers is that it's, he has a symbiote. So you start off with a film that is going to kind of cross over between some alien, right, like the film alien ideas and Venom, right? right? And so that's a nice, it's a nice, interesting twist. It's a way to work this out in, a, in an unusual way. I think the word symbiote is just creepy. Yeah, it's a good one. Doesn't it just conjure bad things? Yes. It does. It doesn't ever <laughs> seem to go well for anybody. Especially here. <laughs> and so, you know, so this thing climbs out of the cosmonaut at night 
and then folds itself up and climbs back in in the morning, which mm. just that scene is enough to make you just gag. <laughs> uh, but then when it comes out, what what I like about you say the, the look of it is it it folds up nicely, right? It compartmentalizes, but then when it stretches out, it's this long, lean. It's all phalanges yeah. and and just this yeah. giant toothy mouth through its torso. It is so creepy looking. I just loved it, and it'll it'll bite some shit. And if you're if you're of a mind, in fact, the the radio show that I was calling this morning talking about this movie while we were on the air talking about it, the one host brought it up on their computer screen to look look at the creature, and instantly was like, oh yeah. yeah. So. If you want to get a look at it beforehand to sort of uh, tempt your taste buds a little yeah. bit, you can do that, or you can just go in blind and be and be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, because it's not one of those. It's not a giant, right? Because right. it can't be, right. right? It's got, but it's also not. I, you know, I find it hard to sustain fear of like a little scuttly thing. Yeah, you know, um, which is not to say that the sucker face from Aliens doesn't freak me out. It does, but I mean, in a, in a very you know a full length feature. I need something more. And so this, it's it's kind of, it gives you both. It's mm-hmm. it's a very cool looking creature. It's got a Guillermo del Toro-esque feel about it. You know, it's funny. I said that this morning on TV, and I think they thought I meant the actual director. <laughs> that the monster looked like the actual no, director as opposed to <laughs> some of the creatures he has developed uh, across his career. That's what I meant. I meant no disrespect to the to the director. Well, this one is a set. It's it's Russian, as we said, and it's uh, subtitled. It's set in Cold War Russia. It's like 1983. Yeah. So everything is cold and sterile and gray unas- and drab. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's got a very even the the performances are very dialed down and you get this feel. I mean everything just feels oppressed. Like we're not going to say anything because you can't say anything. So everything is very weighted. And it does make the film it keeps it from moving, like just getting up and go. But um at the same time the sort of subdued uh, atmosphere makes the violence and the blood and the scares and the emotion pop uh, a little bit more. So all, all in all, I was I was super happy with it. Yeah, this is director Igor Abramenko, and it's not rated, but take our word for it. It's, it's R. It's bloody. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. bloody because this creature goes on a rampage. So, yeah, if you like a good creature feature, got one for you. It is called Sputnik. Got a new one on Apple TV this week. It's a 1,000 17-year-old boys from Texas joining together to build a representative government from the ground up. Documentary Boys State. I will skip the part where I brag for three minutes about how great and cool I am. Seeing as we are all qualified young men of skill and character. People like that stuff. People like that stuff a lot. Some people say they're a sports junkie. I say I'm a politics junkie. Get yourselves ready for a turbulent election. Whatever happens, dude, best of luck. You win, I support you fully. My name is Steven Garza, and I'm running for governor. As to the political views, voice of my speech, sometimes you gotta say what you gotta say in an attempt to win. I think he's a fantastic politician. I don't think a fantastic politician is a compliment either. Can I tell you what I want absolutely nothing to do with, George? A thousand seventeen year old boys. <laughs> it's more like eleven hundred, not uh, just a thousand. They're yeah. just the stink. <laughs> if you're not familiar <laughs> with Boys and Girls State, it's a program that's uh is from the American Legion. Since nineteen thirty five, they sponsor these and, and all states, I believe all states except Hawaii, uh hold one of these every year and they get high school juniors together and they yeah, they have a week 
where they take part in an exercise that lets them experience politics and forming a representative government and quote-unquote civil discourse and forming this government and having elections and, and parties and party platforms and all that goes into it as much as they can be immersed in in a week. And the directors, uh, Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss, immerse us in it, too. And they really center the action. It's very verite, mm-hmm. very fly on mm-hmm. the wall. Mm-hmm. And our vessel into this, vessels into this, is four, really four main boys from different backgrounds. Uh, but they all are taking this pretty seriously. We do get glimpses of the kids that are just there to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not really looking for a, a career in politics. But these four boys, they're there. They mean business. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the boys are elected uh, opposing party chairman. And then the other two boys, they want to go for the big prize, which is governor of Boys State, Texas. And that is elected at the very end of the week. But first you have to become your party's nominee and all that stuff. So there's a lot of going into it. There's motions and there's party platforms and there's debates and everything like that. And you just get an up-close experience with these boys as their eyes are opened, as they change, as as they have to deal with the the fickle nature of building a government and a popularity contest and negative campaigning and and backstabbing and things like that. And it's as you might imagine, it's equal parts horrifying and seventeen-year-old ins- boys and and inspirational <laughs> because you see how much the uh, how early the chance for corruption creeps in oh, to a sure. process like oh, this. Oh yeah, just how early. But then you you see these boys make impassioned speeches and really dig down into things that they believe deeply, and you're very inspired yeah. by it. One boy in particular, I'm not going to say who because I don't want to give it away to, to anybody, but it really, it, 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 and you get so invested in this. I'm telling you, I was hanging on who's <laughs> going to win, and they, they set it up so well, I was, I was just hanging on it, and it's just incredibly entertaining. I know it's weird to say, especially now, as we head toward this incredibly contentious election. To view politics as entertainment. Right. But it is. This is so entertaining. It's a bit of, I guess, reality TV vibe, except that it's more real than reality TV. It it, it really is. And the other thing that you can't can't go unnoticed is these are all boys. And you get multiple instances of reminding yourself why we need more women in all phases of government. Yeah. And so I hope, I would love to see a girl's state, a follow-up. Because there is such a thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you were saying, that this is, and the American Legion holds this Mm -hmm. every year. Well, Mm -hmm. they hold the same thing, but called yeah, girls' state, so the, in every state. Through their auxiliary, uh, except, they do. Except uh, presumably Hawaii, because kids in Hawaii just have better things to do. <laughs> so I would love to see a, a girls' state answer to this maybe next year, but for right now, I'm telling you, it is enthralling. You will be, it will chill you, and at the same time, it'll give you hope. It's it's cynical, and yet it's inspiring. So I, I highly recommend. It's on Apple TV this week, and it's called Boys' State. Well, let's keep with the political vibe. In the heart of the American Midwest, three women take on entrenched political systems in their fight to reshape local politics on their own terms. This documentary is called Represent. Democracy is built on trust in our government, and I really believe that we start building that trust back up here at the local level. If I want to make a difference, this is my chance. The Republican Party is old white men. We've got to change the party. A lot of times people want the black woman vote because we're the backbone of the Democratic Party. Yeah, they pick the candidate that's less black and less woman. 
anyone who associates with the Republican Party in any way I want nothing to do with. But you don't even know me. If I don't win, it's going to take me a long time to process. But I'm a better person because I'm not going to be afraid of very much women. Well, we were just talking about how the political process needs more women, and here you go. Centers on three women who are trying to become a part of that political process. It's fascinating. I mean, it absolutely is. And I and I like very much that it's centered in the Midwest because, for one thing, there's actually a lot of variety in the Midwest to choose from. So Maya Jones, the indefatigable Maya Jones, is running at first for mayor of Detroit. And she is 22 years old at the beginning of the documentary, 23 at the end, when she decides that she's going to run for state representative. Her campaign in particular is just absolutely remarkable to watch. And it's very interesting to see, in her case, the way that youth works against her and also in many ways works for her because she she can develop this grassroots uh, movement because of other young people who want to see. And and she's Mm -hmm. got a ton of experience out of college. She was an activist and she was an organizer. But how she hits a wall because um, the party isn't interested in anybody that young. Mm-hmm. And the party is only interested, as she points out, in a certain kind of black woman. Right. Similarly, and in a very weird way, is Julie Cho, who's running for office in Illinois in a very Democratic district, and she is running on the Republican ticket. And she's Korean-American, so she faces all kinds of problems as well. When she goes door-to-door, Um, In the neighborhoods, many people will not speak to her because they find everything about the Republican Party repugnant, Mm -hmm. repugnant. They can't bear to talk to her. Mm -hmm. And yet she can't get the support of her own party. They won't put up signs for her. They won't. You know, she just so she's you know, she's held back in that same way. And then Bryn Bird from from Granville, Ohio. So right outside Columbus, Ohio. She's the very first in the history of her township progressive to run for trustee but she's a farmer Mm -hmm. so it's not like she's you know a lib who's moved into this area (laughs) she's a farmer and she farms and she sells her produce at a farm market so it's it's just fascinating to watch the many many hurdles that are facing these potential politicians these politicians as they're trying to get into office and what it all comes down to in the very end is is that they're women. Yeah. And that as much as their parties and the country is saying we need more women. So Director Hillary Backelder makes a great point at the very beginning and throughout by just giving us a glimpse of some coverage that keeps pointing to even back as far as the late 80s. Is this the year of the woman? Oh, it's the year of the woman. Everyone look, it's the year of the woman because yeah. one person gets elected or because 23 people get elected. You know, in the end, what they point out to you is that in a landslide, the largest piece of representation women have ever had, we have 23% of the House of Representatives. We have 50% of the world's population. Mm-hmm. It's grotesque. And this movie, and it's funny because it is very even-handed. It's, it's a very much a fly-on-the-wall kind of a documentary. It doesn't ever lose hope. But at the same time, it is it is so frustrating. And it's it's just a fascinating glimpse at why there aren't more women's voices in politics. So two very effective political documentaries out this week uh, seem like they might make great bookends if you're interested. And that one's called Represent. 
Let's have another thriller next. Will believes his wife, Rosalind, is innocent of their son's suspected murder, only to discover the devastating truth behind her past links her to another unsolved crime. It's the Bay of Silence. Why are you looking at me like this? How are you feeling? She hasn't had an episode in three years. She was off her medication. How could you not know? Ross, it's me. Please, call. What's going on? Where are they? She took the passport and she took my son, maybe out of the country. I'm going to call the police. What can they do? Have you seen this woman? Do you believe she could hurt your son? I don't know. We don't know the facts. I need to know how this happened. You're in a state of shock. You have to get a grip. Girls! Where's Mommy? I'm being followed. No more games. You're not playing well. That sounds like a soap opera name. <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? The Bay of Silence. This is based on a novel from 1986, and it's one... Many times you'll you'll see a movie, even if you don't know that it was adapted from a book, and think, boy, I bet this would have made a great book. This is one mm-hmm. of those. Now, I did know going in that it was adapted from a novel, but it's also one of those. It does a lot of things right. It has a lot of things going for it. But in the end, you feel like, A, the screenwriter the uh, who, who adapted the novel, uh, Caroline Goodall, cut too many corners, or the studio ordered a hatchet editing job. Right. Because it just seems like too many things are missing. To, they, they nurture certain ideas to move the story along in sort of a MacGuffin style, I guess, and then just drop those threads later. But uh, it is engaging, and it's uh, Klaus Bang again. He's mm-hmm. everywhere. He is everywhere. <laughs> and then he's involved in the art world world again because his wife here, played by uh, Olga Kur- Kurilenko, she's uh, an artist, she's a photographer. And they get married, and she already has twin daughters. And um, when she is about eight months pregnant, she suffers a bad fall and has to deliver early. But the boy, the baby boy, is delivered healthy. But when Rosalind comes to and uh, she she's convinced that, no, she actually had another set of twins and everyone is lying, including her husband. And so she just has gets more and more erratic behavior. And then they try. Uh, Will tries to go to uh, her mother, played by Alice Krieg. And Yay. Th- yeah, and then her former stepfather, who's also her manager in the art world, played by Brian, Brian Cox. Cox. Try Love to, him. Try to get some answers, and the mystery only deepens because you find out, yeah, there was some sort of really traumatic incident in her past. And then, finally, Will comes home one day, and she's gone. All the kids are gone. The nanny's gone, too. So he has to get to the bottom of this. And it is engaging in a—they try—the the director is Paula Vanderost, and she tries for a Hitchcock sort of vibe. And, oh, definitely. Yeah, and gets there on occasion. But, um, again, there's just too many things missing to have it all— gel cohesively where you you try to build up these as i said these these threads that get you interested and then well, wait a minute what happened to that and things are just casually tossed aside so you have to think boy is this an editing thing mm-hmm. uh, or is it just strictly for the script and then it really doesn't help that the ending is not the not every specific of the ending but where it's going is telegraphed pretty early on so it's not a huge surprise when secrets start getting revealed toward the end. But 
If you like these types of thrillers and exotic locales, it's, most of it is in Italy. It looks fantastic. Um, this will do the job for an adult fair. It's just not one that's going to feel entirely satisfying, especially cons- uh, when you take into account how, how well the setup is. I think the setup is pretty good. It just doesn't deliver on all that the, the premise promises, and that is the Bay of Silence. And we'll close with another documentary. This one explores the seminal music magazine from its 1969 launch in Detroit to the untimely death of its publisher, Barry Kramer, in 1981. This is Cream, America's only rock and roll magazine. Cream magazine was our Facebook. It was our social media. I lived by what was printed in Cream magazine. It was a rock magazine with a capital R. Buying Cream was a little bit like buying Playboy. You didn't want your parents to see either one of them. There's no parallel for it in the rest of rock journalism. It was not a magazine that was about rock and roll. Rock and roll was taking place at the magazine. Everybody was politically incorrect. That's what made Cream so good. He told the truth. 50 years after Cream's first issue published, it still stands for something. Either you're in on the joke or you are the joke. Some of us of a certain age remember buying cream back in the 70s, and I know you liked this documentary, and I did too. So maybe will this be the, the final thing to get you to realize the 70s were a better decade than the 80s? Can I get you on the record oh, hell right no. now? Hell no. <laughs> no, but this documentary was so fun. It was fun. It was so much fun. It's fun to see the Midwest Portrayed in this way because the film and the magazine were so profoundly Detroit. They were so dangerous 1970s, you know, underground, flip the bird to the establishment 70s Detroit. It was so much fun just to watch. And, you know, one of the things I loved about this documentary is if you saw the movie Almost Famous and the character of Lester Bangs played so great by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He wears that T-shirt that says Detroit Detroit sucks. sucks. Well, that's a real thing. <laughs> Lester Bangs wrote for Cream, and he's in here wearing that T-shirt. I love that. Well, I and Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe yeah. oh, yeah. is in this documentary. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because, Dave Marsh. Because he really did get mentoring from Lester Bangs. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. It's, I mean, it's fascinating. The people that they have talked, the writers. I mean, the writers are, are some of the greatest writers in rock music. Um coverage history and then the bands that they covered at the time you hear from Joan Jett who's quite disgruntled you know you hear from a lot of the <laughs> yeah. bands that they did cover at the time and then you hear from a lot of bands or musicians who were you know very impressed by Cream in their own formative years which is so much fun I mean the whole movie is just madness yeah there's a great story from uh, Chili Peppers drummer Chad Smith who realized their offices were not far from where he lived Right. And so he just uh, wanted to go hang out, and he ended up seeing some very famous faces when yeah, he was there. Yeah, he rode his bike down there, <laughs> yeah. and, and Alice Cooper walked yeah. out. Yeah, so it's a great vibe. It just lets you know that, yes, when they say they were, and they, that's what was on the masthead, America's Only Rock and Roll Magazine, they were looking at you, Rolling Stone. That's right. Because they were not about trying to be movers and shakers on the political scene or the Hollywood scene. They were about the rock and roll, and this movie let you know that they not only wrote about it, they lived it. Yes. Yeah. There are a lot of moments of real tragedy in the in the in the movie because there are in the story of the magazine, but that's kind of the thing. I mean the the, the magazine was so punk rock and like punk rock, it was doomed. And you know what was also very interesting, on one hand, their stories, their pictures, things that they were representing were 
incredibly sexist. Yeah. On the other hand, they were among the first to give women a real voice in writing for a magazine like oh, this. Oh, yeah, fully. At least fully half of the writing staff were females. Most of the editorial staff were females. Most of the voices that were leading the direction of the magazine were women, and a lot of the, the writers who were putting those incredibly foul captions under photos <laughs> were women. And as they say, it's like, dude, it's the 70s. We were yeah. high. This is People didn't think like that then. So, and well, actually, all right. The director and co-writer is Scott Crawford, but actually one of the producers, J.J. Kramer, the son of the magazine's founder, Barry Kramer, lives here in Columbus, yeah. and you got a chance to talk to him this week. I did, actually. Uh, there's an interview that I did with J.J. Kramer on ColumbusUnderground.com you could find. Are we going to post it on Mad Wolf, too? Sure, probably. Why don't we do that? But obviously, we had a lot of fun with this. If you're a, a music documentary fan or just you remember the magazine, anything like that, I think you'll uh, you'll have a lot of fun with Cream, America's only rock and roll magazine. That's one of those movies that you can stream through virtual streaming from different uh, theaters around the country, including, in Columbus, Drexel, the Drexel Theater at Drexel.net, and GatewayFilmCenter.org. All right, let's head to the lobby, get some news. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, also known as the Schlocketeer. What news do you have for us this week, Daniel? Uh, just a lot of stuff shifting around. In a, in a bit of good news, uh, in an effort to get ahead of Tennant and Mulan, Bill and Ted Face the Music has moved up. It's released August 28th. Um, Lionsgate has pulled antebellum from its August date, and it's now set for a premium VOD release on September 18th. The disaster movie Greenland has been postponed to September 25th. Lionsgate has sold their Sarah Paulson thriller Run, which was the latest from the director of Searching. Um, Hulu picked it up, and they're expected to premiere it sometime this fall. The G.I. Joe reboot Snake Eyes has been pulled from its October date and will come out sometime next year. And Disney has sold its Fox-made Fear Street trilogy to Netflix, which are based on the popular book series by R.L. Stein. Netflix apparently plans to release them a month apart next summer. Uh, it's my understanding that the first two are already in the can, while the third still needs to be shot. And uh, Honeyman's Lee Janiak is at the helm of all three of them, so that's good. Is this the first of several sell-offs by, by Disney here when they, since they've acquired Fox? Yeah, they sold... Um, I think we talked about the woman in the window previously. Right. Yeah. They, yeah, they had sold that off to Netflix, and now they're selling three films to them in one, all in one go. They still have a few other Fox features. Um, they might hold on to some of them, but I wouldn't be too surprised if we see a few more sell here in the next month or so. Mm, interesting. And I know here in town, in Columbus, Ohio, where we are, we've heard that the AMC theaters are going to be open at least in the next couple of weeks. Is that going nationwide? Uh, as far as I know, it's mostly nationwide. I think they might be avoiding some of the worst hot spots. I think Regal and Cinemark are pretty much doing the exact same thing. I would imagine that they're going to at least attempt to open probably at least two-thirds of their theaters. and We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think it's funny that the release dates and the theater openings that there, it's not more of a coordinated effort because it seems funny to me if these massive theater chains plan to open here this month that the studios are still selling off properties to go you know straight to Netflix or to VOD. That just seems like they want to hang on to it now because theaters are going to need content. 
Yeah, it is weird, especially with... I, I can understand them shifting around the blockbusters, but you, I, I would think Disney, as an example, would want to hold on to the smaller films and maybe try those out in theaters. If they do well, they do well. If not, they can release them on VOD in you know, a month or two, and they're not really out so much. But uh, I guess they're just not interested in trying. And then speaking of another kind of blockbuster, <laughs> I saw there's some news about the very last blockbuster video is now trying something different. Yes, the world's last blockbuster video. It's in Bend, Oregon. And if you are a resident of uh, Deschutes County, you can now rent it for single-night sleepovers through Airbnb. I, I guess you gain access to the entire store library when you do for the night. You can watch <laughs> as many movies as you want. And apparently they have an extra room in the store now that houses classic 90s furniture, decorations, snacks, and a pull-out sofa for uh, maximum nostalgia, I guess. I would have loved to do that. Back in the day, I would have loved to have a sleepover. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily at a blockbuster, to be honest, but at a video store. That would have been the best. Oh, yeah, I would have stayed up all night. I don't think they're fooling anybody. That secret room in the back, that's where the pornos are. Always <laughs> was. <laughs> You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> Daniel Baldwin, you can find him at the Schlocketeer. Thanks again. All right, thank you. Okay, looking at what's on tap for next week. Well, it's not 16, but it's a little bit more. We have the new one on Disney+, Plus, the one and only Ivan. Random Acts of Violence will be on Shudder. Okay, also Love Express. That sounds like a 70s disco tune. <laughs> like that already. <laughs> Unfamiliar is another horror film. Words on Bathroom Walls. like that title. Tesla. That's going to be pretty good. That, that looks to be pretty good. Also, Desert One. And the 24th. Okay. I haven't even heard of some of those. This should be fun. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week, or if you're still catching up from all the titles last week. We totally understand. <laughs> uh, we're up to talk about those as well. You can always find us on Twitter. That's easy, at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews as well as other fun stuff like our horror-only podcast called Fright Club. And there's a brand new episode dropping this weekend, by the way. You can find all that at madwolf.com. So we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. If you would do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Yes, we would. So until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>